0: Hi everyone! Welcome to the Good Health Cafe. I hope you've got your warm beverage in hand. Today we are going to hear the experiences of a COVID ICU nurse. Spoiler alert, it's not pretty. During our conversation, she used a few medical terms. As a result, I have put a glossary on our website, thegoodhealthcafe.com, in case there are any terms you are unfamiliar with. Let's get right to the episode. Laverne, thank you and welcome to the podcast. Would you like to introduce yourself to the audience?
1: Well, my name is Laverne and I'm an ICU nurse. I work at a major level three trauma, level one actually, trauma hospital in Florida.
0: Thank you. I appreciate that. So you're working at an ICU in COVID times. What is that like being on the front lines of this disease?
1: Is your ICU only COVID patients? Yes, it's only COVID patients. We do not have room for anyone else. Um, they've made temporary ICUs on all the floors so that our ICU can only be COVID for patients that need to be on the ventilator or they need to be on ECMO. They're the ones that come to our ICU. We do have regular COVID floors for COVID patients that are stable that don't meet icu criteria but that's how our icu gets filled up because they're the ones that crash eventually and then they end up coming to our icus or patients that's coming into the er they're already like really really sick they have to end up getting intubated and come to the icu what is ecmo ECMO is where they're perfusing the heart and the lungs at the same time. It depends on, on what the doctor wants, but we have CV ICU nurses. Those are cardiovascular intensive care nurses. For the ECMO patients, they're the ones that come and take care of those patients. Because as an ICU nurse, we're not cardiovascular ICU trained. So we will be the ones to prep the patient. The patient belongs to us under our ICU care. If the patient is critically ill to where no matter what we're doing, they're on 100% FIO2 on the ventilator and there's nothing we can do to oxygenate them, we will consult um, CVICU doctors. My hospital has a heart transplant program. So we'll consult them and they will come and look at the patient and say, okay, yes, we think this patient is a candidate for ECMO. So what they'll do, they will cannulate the patient at the bedside. Everything is done at the bedside and then the patient Is stays in our ICU, but we have special rooms in our ICUs for those patients. So once the patient gets cannulated as an ICU nurse, we turn over the care to another ICU nurse, but those are the cardiovascular intensive care nurses because we're not ECMO trained. They work with open heart patients and stuff like that. We don't do that.
0: Perfect. Thank you. So what is this
1: experience like dealing with? COVID? It's horrible. It has been mentally, emotionally, and physically draining taking care of these patients. So how do you cope with this,
0: seeing this type of tragedy day in and
1: day out? I I drink. (laughs) No, I'm serious. I drink because before I go into work, If I'm off for a day or two and I'm going back to work, I don't know what I'm going to expect. I don't know how many Mm. patients are going to die that day. So I drink to go to sleep because if I don't, my brain is like just going and going and going and going. And then I get no sleep. How about wins?
0: Yes, I guess you see a lot of death, but do you sometimes see people who turn around? And what's that experience like?
1: yes we have had patients that have turned around but it's very few and in between and when it does happen it's like awesome like we had a patient in our icu and his name was mr easter and believe it or not he was in our icu for months he was actually our first very first covid patient and the day he got discharged out of our icu was actually on easter sunday Oh, that's nice. That was just like amazing. He (laughs) left on Easter Sunday and his last name was Easter. That was just like amazing. That's I did not think he was going to make it, but he made it. He made it out of there. Yes, he did. Okay. So it's actually
0: (laughs) rare to make it out of the ICU? It is. Wow. What do you think
1: patients need to understand about this disease? They need to understand that the coronavirus is not fake. It's real. It is real. Like I honestly wish that people could come and be like a fly on the wall and see what goes on, wear your mask, hand sanitize, do what they're telling you to do to protect yourself and protect your family we just had one of our coworkers, a respiratory therapist that worked in the ICU since I've been working at this hospital for eight years. He just died last week from coronavirus. Wow. He, was, he became one of our patients that we were taking care of. He ended up going on ECMO and he didn't last a week. He died. That was just heartbreaking for everyone, everyone.
0: Are there any myths you think concerning COVID? Any is there one in particular that stands out that maybe you hear from your patients or in the street?
1: Well, I know I've heard, oh, that Black people are the ones that, that get sicker than Caucasians. That's not true. It's, it doesn't matter what race you are. You will get the coronavirus if you are exposed to it and you have underlying health conditions. People that have asthma or diabetes, they're the ones that we see it affects the worst. doesn't matter whether you're black, you're white, you're Chinese, you're Caucasian. It's the same thing. And people think that because they're young, it cannot affect them. Uh, Let me tell you, they're so wrong because when the coronavirus first started back in March, yes, it was the elderly. When they had shut down and reopened the country, well, Florida, in May, we have 28 year old in our ICU ended up getting trach. Could not get them off the ventilator. 37-year-old, 34-year-old, 35-year-old. It doesn't. You can get it when you're young. You can get it. Trust me, you can get it.
0: Okay. So... It's it doesn't matter your age and it doesn't really matter your race. So in your no, ICU not- for example, you don't see like mainly old people or mainly people of a certain race. It's really all mixed. Exactly. Okay. Is there anything that has surprised you and your peers about this experience?
1: Yes. The fact that these patients, when it gets so bad, their lungs are so fibrous that it's so stiff that there's nothing that we can do to save you. And as an ICU nurse, that's very hard for us to like, knowing that you're going to die and we can code you. That patient will cold, their heart will stop. we will push meds, and I guarantee you in ten minutes once the medication wears off, that patient will cold again, their heart will stop again. It's like you're doing the same thing over and over again. It's like I think there's a movie like that. it's just you're you're repeating yourself over and over again. there's nothing that you can do. there's nothing, and the worst the worst part is that your family is not there to see you or to speak with you or to say goodbye. That's the worst part. Like when they are dying, they die by themselves. I mean, we're there, but what family member doesn't want to be there? Like there was a younger guy. He was in his twenties and he came in, they were ruling out coronavirus on him. And honestly, I couldn't even tell you if he was ever positive because he died before we found out because he coded and his mom could not come to see him because he's in ICU in a coronavirus floor. And she tried to hurt herself. They had to take her to the emergency room at the same hospital, at my hospital, the same hospital, because she couldn't get to see her child. I know as a mom, I don't know what I would do. I will break down all kind of doors knowing that my child is dying and I cannot be there with my child. I, I don't know what I would do.
0: So that's a great segue into maybe what's the best way for family members to participate in their loved ones care, given that they can't be in the room or visit.
1: Well, at my hospital, we have, we have a WebEx, we have iPads. Okay. So we will set up a meeting with the family And when we're going in the rooms, which is, we do not go in the rooms often because we have to protect ourselves too. So we go in the rooms to give her a meds, to reposition our patient, to do peri care, clean our patients up and stuff like that. And we will let the family know that, you know, call around this time, we'll be in the room and we'll have the iPad. They can see their family member. They can talk to them. The family member is intubated. They are sedated. Sometimes they're paralyzed to get them in sync with the ventilator. The family member cannot hear them. The patient cannot hear their family, but it's just knowing that, you know, just speaking to them, seeing them, at least they see that, you know, at that point in time that, yes, they're critically ill, but they're still alive and they can see them. Oh wow!
0: So that means in the ICU, many times you're you're not even able to speak
1: by that point. Well, if you're on the ventilator, no, you cannot speak.
0: Okay.
1: No, if you're on the ventilator for life support, no, because the ventilator is in your. It's going into your lungs. Yes. Mm -hmm. So that's helping you breathe and stuff like that. So no, you cannot speak, and you are sedated like we, I mean, these patients go through so many drugs. I just don't, I mean, our pharmacy has got to be like the best pharmacy. I mean, you have patients, they're on Versed drips, fentanyl drips, Presidex drip, propofol drip, ketamine drip, drips to help their blood pressure, drips to help their heart. I mean, we have like four, four, that's eight, 12 pumps running with different medications. Like people don't realize that These patients, they are critically, critically ill, critically ill. We have so much medications that we have, especially when they're paralyzed too. I mean, there is so much drugs that we're pushing in them. And the ones that make it out to get them off of all those drugs, they are wild, wild, wild. Like because they've been on all these drugs for so long, it's like it messes with their head. They don't know anything anymore. They're trying to climb out the bed, they're pulling lines out. I had one of my patients, 37-year-old, before she got intubated on life support, she was a very sweet woman. She crashed. We ended up having to put her on a ventilator. She knew she was gonna go on the ventilator. She was she was one of the ones that they ECMO'd. She was on ECMO for two months and she came off, but she's not the same person. I mean, the lady pulled out her central line on me one day. It's just, she's trying to climb out the bed. It's just great. And then she's on a heparin. She has blood clots. She's on a heparin drip. God forbid she falls on the ground and then she has a bleed in her head. All those medication changes them. Wow. They have a long recovery ahead of them. Wow. So for your patients that do make
0: it out like Mr. Easter, do you do you ever have the opportunity to get updates on how they're how they're doing?
1: No. Because what happens is we will get like letters from administration they will send an email that oh this family member you know they they talk about the care they receive but most we as icu nurses we don't really get that credit because they don't the patients are intubated sedated so they don't know what we're doing to save their lives so by the time they recover to the point to where they leave the icu then they go to a floor, a telemetry floor or a step-down floor. So when they leave, all the praises goes to those nurses. So we don't really get updates unless like, the family knows that they were in the ICU. They will call us to say, hey, this patient is doing so much better. And even if they wanted to come back to see us, they can't because... We're not allowing visitors in the hospital, no matter who you are, because of the coronavirus. But we don't really know much when that patient leaves the ICU. We don't know what happens to them, honestly, because they go to the floors and then from the floors, nine out of 10 times, they're going to end up going to rehab because they've been in the hospital for so long, their muscle is wasted. They need therapy, lots of therapy to get back to the way they were. So they have been through, seen so many people, so many therapists, so many this, they don't even remember us in ICU. And I don't blame them because they don't even yeah. see us because we have them sedated on, on life support. Like we're, we're there trying to keep you alive. Once you make it out of ICU, hopefully you don't come back, you're gone. Can you be in the ICU but not be on the ventilator? You can. If you're in an ICU and you're not on the ventilator as a COVID patient, you are on either BiPAP or you're on high flow. And when when you're on the BiPAP, that means that you're on the BiPAP around the clock, not you're on BiPAP for a few hours, you take it off. No, those are the ones that are like one step away from getting on life support on the ventilator. And most of the time they do. Okay. So they will come down from the floor on the BiPAP and our ICU docs will say, okay, we'll keep an eye on them because we'll try our best not to get them intubated. But then their lungs are so bad, it gives out, like we have to intubate them.
0: What is the most memorable experience you've had in this whole coronavirus
1: season? (laughs) Nothing. Nothing. There is nothing memorable about this. Nothing. Seeing the Mm. few patients that we've had discharged, that was very good and it felt good. But then you remember all the things that happened. And I know they say that you should look at the good and the positive and not the negative. But I see all those negatives as it didn't have to happen that way. Like we've had patients that came into our ICU that because they're everyone in the family has coronavirus because one person went out there like I was taking care of a man in our ICU. He was on continuous dialysis that as an ICU nurse, we're the ones that do it. His son was in the next unit over ICU on ECMO. Every, one in the family had coronavirus. The His other, he has eight children, four sons and four girls. And I think that a lot of them live together in the same home. So when he came into the hospital, my patient, his oldest son came in with him also with coronavirus. They both came in on the same day. The son drove himself and the dad. The son left on July 15th. They came in on July 4th. The son left on July 15. was discharged. One of the son, dad never made it out. He was my wow. patient. He died. The other, one of the other son, he came in after his brother and dad was admitted. He never left. He's actually still in our ICU and he's not doing good. So it's like, can you imagine that family? Dad died. And now you have a brother there that's dying. And then the one brother, he made it out, thank God. It's, it's just, it's just crazy. Like those things, like, that's why I say that I don't see anything positive. Like everything to me is just bad. It's just bad. We even had this one patient, but she's so lucky. She was pregnant. She was coronavirus positive. She was, she was a dialysis patient, young girl, 32 years old. The dialysis nurse went to the floor to dialyze her. And she said she had to go to the bathroom. And she came out the bathroom, went back in the bed. The dialysis nurse went to the bathroom, and the baby was in the toilet. Oh Wow. She lost the baby in the toilet. The dialysis nurse screamed, I heard. They had to bring the patient down to our ICU. She ended up getting on the ventilator. That was like, I don't know. But that dialysis nurse, she had to be off for a week. She was traumatized. I don't know what I would do if I go into the toilet and see a baby, a fetus there, mm-hmm. a dead fetus, not alive. The fetus was dead. Was she full term? She No, she wasn't full term. She spontaneously aborted that baby and she made it out. We also had another girl. Oh my goodness. I will never forget her, but she went home. She's probably like, besides the Mr. Easter, she's like my next, like, I'm so happy for her because my heart broke for her. I remember coming into work a Saturday morning and we usually huddle. There was no huddle because the code was going on. Now, this girl was supposed to be transferred out of the ICU. She never got intubated. She was on BiPAP. They ended up weaning her o- FiO2. She ended up on oxygen, nasal cannula. She was supposed to go to a step-down floor. She, ne- she never made it out. She went into labor. I've never seen anything like that in all my years of ICU nursing. They took that baby from her belly in less than 10 minutes. They had labor and delivery nurses. They had NICU nurses. Now, we've delivered babies in our ICU before, but not under COVID. I mean, it was a bloody mess. There was blood everywhere, Nikita. Blood everywhere. Do you hear me? And the patient, Later on, she told us that she felt every single pain when they were cutting her. When they cut her to take that baby out, she felt everything. Why? Because they didn't have enough time for anesthesia? They, they gave her anesthesia, but I guess it was not enough because like I told you, they were trying to save that baby and he is gorgeous. Oh my gosh. It was a bloody me- There was blood everywhere, Nikita. It was so it was so surreal. It's like I'm like, is this a movie? Like, no, listen, it was like, oh my God, there was so many people there, but the people that were there they needed to be there because there was the people for the baby, the NICU, there was labor and delivery. They were there for the mom. There was ICU, us. It was just, it was, it was, I was I've never seen anything like this, Nikita. I swear to God. And wow. the crazy part is that you could be like, like an outsider watching. And you would think like the baby people, they could care less about the mom. All they were concerned about was the baby. They intubated that baby right outside of the patient's room. Mm-hmm. Right outside the patient's room, that baby got intubated, while the doctor that delivered the baby is in the room trying to stitch up the mom now. The labor and delivery nurses, they could care less about the baby. All they cared about was the mom. We, the ICU nurses, we could care less about the baby. All we cared about was that she's alive. (laughs) It, it, it was just like, it was, I cannot even begin to explain to you. That was, that was like mind blowing. I will never forget that. It was just like, you, you asked the labor and delivery nurse. Oh, how's the baby? Oh, I don't know. And it's not that they, they're just like, why, why are you asking me that? <laughs> Go over there and ask them that. Like, is the baby going to make it? They could care less. All they cared about was that mother.
0: Yeah, I guess that shows how segmented healthcare is. Everybody has their aspect of the body or the person that they are focused on. Yep. So what kind of support is available for you and your coworkers to deal with what sounds to be very traumatic incidents?
1: Well, we have um, my manager. She's awesome. 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 Like She's like the best. We have um, her name is Phyllis, and she has the briefing sessions that she set up for us so that we can go on Tuesdays and Fridays. Night shift goes first because they're leaving, and then we'll go after and we'll sit and we'll talk. And about you know what's been going on, what's happened this week or the day before, or whatever. And we just talk it out. And if there's anything, what can they do to help us? And then they also have like they have a father, like different denomination, like people that will come to speak with us. Yeah, And you find that that's been helpful? Yeah, it's been helpful. It's been helpful. Because it's nice to know that you're not the only one feeling that way. Mm -hmm. Because for me, it was like, I was like, am I the only one that see anything wrong? Like, with the fact that these people are just dying and there's nothing that we can do for them, nothing. Mm -hmm. But I wasn't the only one feeling that way.
0: Okay. So how do you talk to your children about coronavirus? What do you tell them about it?
1: I tell them to make sure they wash their hands I mean, they don't go out the house. I don't take them anywhere, but they know they have to wear their mask if they go outside. Um, don't touch anything. I tell them when you go outside, you don't have to put gloves on like these idiots out here that wears their gloves everywhere. That is like my biggest pet peeve because they don't realize that when you put wear the gloves, you're touching everything. And those are the same thing that someone has to come after you and touch. So you just spread whatever you had on your dirty gloves on everything. And then you go back in your car and you touch your wallet and you touch your wallet right there at the register with your gloved hands. Do you clean your wallet off when you put it back in your pocket? No, you don't. Do you clean that credit card off that you just took out and swiped? No, you don't. Then you're going to go home and take that same wallet out with with your hands that doesn't have a glove on anymore. And then there you go. You just gave yourself the same thing that you were trying to protect yourself from. Idiots. Okay, and
0: what do you have to do, if anything special, between when you leave work, get in your car, come home? Because, of course, you don't want
1: to bring it to your house. Is it just washing your hands? We have showers at work to to shower, um, chlorhexidine ourselves. We don't wear um, regular uniforms. They give us scrubs to wear that we don't bring home. We take it off and we have a special um, bin to put it in, yeah. Okay, cool. Well,
0: do you have any closing thoughts on this coronavirus experience? Mm.
1: I think that the coronavirus is gonna end up being something like chicken pox, where you get it and you get immune like, you know how when you're little, everyone, just about everyone gets chicken pox and then you end up carrying the titer with you for the rest of your life. I think that's what it's going to end up being later on down the line. But for now, we don't really know much about it. So that's why people need to take this seriously because people are dying too much from it. And they're dying. It's not pretty. It's not pretty at all. And I, I, I wish that this thing is over because I'm not going to lie. I can't stand wearing those masks just like everyone else, but I know I have to. It's not fun having that thing on your face all the time. People are complaining about wearing it. What about us nurses, especially the nurses that are taking care of the patient? We have to wear that for 12 hours and more. You want to complain about wearing a mask just because you have to go in a store for like 20 minutes. Are you kidding me? We're wearing that for 12 hours because we don't just wear the mask when we go in the patient room we have to wear it in the whole hospital at all time from the time you step foot in you do not take you cannot take your mask off what about us do they think about that they don't they want to fight people because someone say oh you cannot come in my store because you don't have a mask on oh my goodness for 10 minutes i'm wearing that for 13 hours 13 hours and you want to complain about a 10 minute mask
0: That's true. It is. It is very frustrating when it seems like people don't take this seriously. I actually was in the hospital the other day and I overheard some doctors saying, oh, this coronavirus is like fake news. It's not as big a deal. But I guess maybe that's because they're not in a hospital in
1: Florida. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I guess that's why, because not one of my intensivists think that it's fake. And I'm telling you, most of my intensivists, they are Republicans, okay? And they don't think Mm -hmm. that this fake. They see it for what it is. So that's why I think that if people... I wish people could be like a fly on the wall to see what we're talking about. But I don't think that will change some people. Some people are just set in their ways. No matter what you say to them, they're just going to think what they want to think or believe what Mm -hmm. they want to believe unfortunately. Now, once things were locked down for
0: a little while, I know things are opening back up, but did you actually see the effects of that in your ICU? I guess, did you go from full oh, yeah. to having space
1: When it opened back up, it was like maybe two weeks later, it started right after the 4th of July, especially. We were like, not 4th of July, I'm sorry. What's the holiday in May? Memorial Day. Memorial Day, yes. Yep. If
0: people, what is the best thing people can do to support health workers right now?
1: Send us food. (laughs) I'm just kidding. No, 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 no. I mean, they can support this by protecting themselves because we don't want to be at work. Listen, it is not fun being locked away in the hospital taking care of these patients. You cannot do anything. Like, if you protect yourself, that means that. We would have less patients, coronavirus patients to take care of, like, do what you're supposed to do because you're going to help us too in order, in addition to helping yourself. Very nice. Thank you. Thank you for
0: participating.
1: You're welcome. You're welcome. Anytime. Wow.
0: That conversation left me speechless. Laverne did not hold back on what the reality is for her and her colleagues at their hospital. They truly are healthcare heroes. Please keep following the advice to wear a mask, physical distance, and wash your hands so you don't become a patient. Remember, there's a glossary of terms used in this episode on our website. I look forward to seeing you in the cafe soon. Bye!